0: or get help with anything else, and a lot more. If you're interested in joining the community, buying some merch, sponsoring the show, or signing up for the newsletter, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com. I want to invite all of you in the Building the Future community to join me at Supex, the startup expo in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, this July 26th, where I'll be the MC. SUPEX is one of the largest and best startup conferences in the U.S. and the official gathering of the Building the Future community this summer. SUPEX has cutting-edge content, a cool startup competition, and a half-day forum this year called Hashtag Women for Women, the largest gathering in the U.S. in 2018 of angel groups, seed funds, and BC funds focused on female founders and female entrepreneurs. For more information, visit www.sup-x.org. I hope to see all my Building the Future friends there. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Skylar Ditchfield. He's the co-founder and CEO at Geolinks. Skylar, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think you have a really kind of diverse background and and what you guys are doing at Geolinks is, is really innovative. But maybe before we get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. I grew up in in a little town called Ojai in uh, Southern California. It's a, okay. kind of a farming town, about 8,000 people in a small little valley, about 60, 60 miles north of Los Angeles.
0: Okay. Very cool. So walk me through, did, did you end up going to university or walk me through kind of your educational career?
1: No, I didn't. Uh, okay. you know, I went through the, regu- the regular K-12 there in my town public school system. Okay. And, uh, had the ups, ups and downs of, of that in a small town. And uh, after that, I, I had a brief stint at junior college, which was me just trying to find a direction of where I was going to go in life and uh, had an opportunity to work for um, MCI WorldCom, the dot-com uh, sure. bubble was, was peaking up in um, Silicon Valley and took, jumped at that job opportunity, which at the time seemed absolutely fantastic in terms of pay, but you know you didn't realize what, the cost of living was up there at the time, so it was a little bit relative. Sure. But that that's uh, really my my formal education.
0: Sure. Well, I I think it's still kind of relative, um, even today. If people are like, "I'm making all this money," and then you get there and you're like, "Oh, it's really not that much money." <laughs> well, it is a lot of money. That's it's just exactly the cost right. of living's too high high to compensate. Yeah. So, that's right. No, that's fair. So, walk me through kind of your your journey. Um, you know, kind of in your, your work career up until kind of GeoLinks because you've done a ton of stuff. You've had some, you know, some success and some failures and stuff. So maybe walk us through through that journey.
1: Sure. Absolutely. I'd love to. It's a it's a long one. I mean, it, going back to as a kid, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Okay. Um, loved doing anything that, that I could do to work and make money, whether it was, you know, setting up stands to sell lemonade on the side of the road. Sure. Doing That's farmer's good. markets in the summer. Um, in high school, I'd, Buy things on online classifieds and sell them in the paper classifieds when the internet was new because it was a a nice margin of difference there. But you know, um, after I left uh, MCI because they were going through their bankruptcy, I I came back and I moved uh, back down home to my to my hometown of Ohio, which is about 350 miles south of uh, San Jose. Okay, and I worked for a couple days at a local computer store um, that had a an interesting motto of selling the highest end quality computers at the lowest price Um, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, I was making about a fifth of what I had been making prior and on my second day at lunch I went to lunch and I said, you know what, I can do the same business and and I remember I'm not going back to work. I went home and I did my first flyer and uh, I had the last $500 I had and put an ad in a magazine and started my first uh, IT company at that time.
0: Wow. So, Okay, keep going, sorry.
1: Oh, so from there, um, I got a few orders, um, started doing some some service, working out of the bedroom of my uh, my bedroom and my dad's home. That's awesome. And uh, as that started to to take off, um, I rented a 110 square foot um, little room from an old music store that had a VHS section that was starting (laughs) to go out of style, and he made me a deal. If I clean out the VHS room... I could have rent for 3 for 3 months and then after that it would be 180 bucks a month.
0: Nice, so that's I, amazing. That's a
1: deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Went and rented a truck, grabbed a couple of friends, loaded up all those old DVDs, uh not DVDs, shoot VHS, <laughs> VHS,
0: yeah. Uh
1: cleaned it out, um set up shop in this little tiny room, but it was right on the corner of the, the busiest corner in town. Okay. So I love that and uh you know, bought a little desk, a chair as many consumables, like writable DVDs and items like that as I could. Sure. And our first month in business, we sold we sold $10,000. And I was like, Holy "Wow, crap, we're off and running.
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: And um, there was a demand. And three months later, the guy said, you know what? My whole shop's going under. Do you want to take over the whole building, which was about 800 square feet? Okay. I said, yeah. I had to borrow a couple thousand dollars from some friends and family and okay. open up the rest of it and um, begin the Right at that time, wireless routers were the first thing out, and I think they were 350 to $450 sure. at the time,
0: <laughs> but people were starting to
1: want to adopt that. So we were making a business of installing those and selling computers on the same model of that computer store that used to work at. High-quality parts, but guaranteed lowest price if you make an apples-to-apples comparison. Interesting. Um, and that business really started to grow for us in that, in that small little town. There was definitely a need and demand, but there was a perception of us of anything in that town being more expensive than driving out of town, so we had to fight that uphill battle. Okay. Um, I found you know, doing a really good quality of service meant a lot because word of mouth in a small town was super important. Sure. And um, we began running ads on what was Adelphia Cable at the time up there, and they had these small regions where we could target basically our town and and the next town nearby. Okay. And the, the cable buys were very inexpensive, so I think I was spending in the neighborhood of 500 to $700 a month and, and flooding TV to the point that when I'd sit up at night all I would do is see myself on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, it led to a couple interesting things. Number one is like everywhere I went in town everyone was like hey you're the guy on TV which became moderately annoying and embarrassing to me. <laughs> sure. Um, but the, the positive outlook was for two years straight our business doubled every six months. Oh wow. And um, that was great. We, we ended up Pushing out um, into a 3,500 square foot building, a couple of years later, uh, approaching a little over two million in revenue for a little town like that, which was uh, really exciting. Um, One, our first uh, big RFP, which, big for us at the time, was about I think $250,000, going up against uh, other entities that had worked for the government and we hadn't. This was for a community college and um i really wanted to continue to take the business to the next level my partner at the time wanted to go in a different direction moving towards smart homes because the the housing uh bubble had not hit yet and sure. the housing market was going crazy so we had a little different uh difference in direction this was around 2005 i want to say okay and um he had the means to buy me out i didn't have the means to buy him out so he he bought me out of the business at the time okay um i moved on and um took a little break to regroup and and see where I wanted to go next. And um, I started a uh, internet service provider because I had looked back at what we had done and I saw, you know, we'd, we'd serviced 3000 clients. And I thought, wow, if we had turned could have turned that into recurring revenue instead of one time transactions, we could have built a a huge base of of recurring revenue that we didn't have to work for month over month. Sure. Uh, Unfortunately, unfortunately that business venture um, there was some partnership issues and it ultimately didn't work out, and I had I had some significant health issues at the time uh, after that business had just gotten off the ground. And one of those learning lessons, or you get into a lawsuit, and even if you prevail, you, you don't really win.
0: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know,
1: you get some some good life lessons there. Sure. Um, so that business, uh, you know, that that took a, another year and a half or two years of of my life and a lot of money and time. And then uh, I, I had a little bit of funds left over still from. My prior sale, and I, I I made the mistake of getting um, seduced by the idea of a nightclub. Okay, okay. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I went in and bought a 50% share of, of a of a nightclub business, where I thought, you know, it's going to be three nights a week. That's all I'll have to work. A uh, lot of cash. Uh, um, great income. I'll have time to, to pursue other business efforts, and uh, this seems like a a slam dunk. And you know, being in my my mid twenties. It was, there was an allure to it as well. Sure. It uh, turns out the the seller, the seller was not a a, a, a real honest guy. He had cooked the books. Oh, uh, wow. The business was in a massive decline. It was in a huge issue with the local police turned out <laughs> the second week running at the, the PD calls me down, sits me down for a meeting in, in their HQ and says we had 194 calls for service last year. You guys were only open, 190 days. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Oh, wow. You know, and they want to impart all these new rules on us of doubling security, doubling staff. Well, it turns out it was the most violent nightclub in town, and it was an absolute mess. Wow. So they gave me an ultimatum to clean it up or shut it down. Okay. And by cleaning it up, we started losing a ton of revenue. Sure. So before you know it, I'm in uh, lawsuit number two, and, um, ended up prevailing. But again, you know, you, you don't really prevail even sure. when you win, you, you still lose money and, and a lot of time. And, um, I moved on from there and I, I, I had some health issues again. I had an uh, autoimmune disease since I was about 18 that had flared up again.
0: Okay.
1: And, um, I, I was, uh, I was pretty much down and out at that point. It was, I think 2009 at that point. Um, I had was living on, uh, in the spare room of my dad's house again had moved back home uh with my my girlfriend at the time and um we were trying to figure out what what do i do next um you know what do i do i was doing little odd jobs here and there to make a living of just you know putting 20 bucks in my pocket to eat for the day sure and uh i was entertaining the ideas of do i take a job i was thinking do i want to become a policeman that was one i was taking very seriously and Something in the back of my head kept saying, you can't work for anyone else. You can't work for anyone else. But the other part of me says, you got no money, your credit's blown. <laughs> sure. You're just getting back on your feet health wise. You sold off every item you had to get by. How on earth am we going to get a business started again? And, um, I finally, um, came across a ad for an IT company for sale um, okay. in LA, that a 50% partner was selling and I was going back and forth trying to figure out a way to make that work. Um, I knew I had some leverage, uh, in the fact that it was a 50% sale, which is not attractive to most people because it's very difficult to sell 50% of the business. Uh, one partner was getting more and more motivated to depart and they really wanted someone that they knew they could count on to, to run the business properly. And I think I, I gave them that pitch. It was right around that time. I learned my, my daughter, uh, was on her way and that was a a big motivating force to really, really push this through one way or another. So, uh, my grandmother stepped up and gave me a small loan to, get, to put a small amount of money down and I got the seller to finance 95% of the, of the price. Wow. Um, got, that bit, got that business going and within about five or six months, I was able to look at everything that the, the uh, previous partner that I bought out was doing and, and take that down from a 40 hour a week job to about a 10 hour a week job by just automating and streamlining a lot of the processes. Wow. And, um, I asked the other partner, you know, can we grow this? Let's, let's make this big. I saw the opportunity to really grow it and he just didn't have that vision. He was a guy that really just wanted a, a steady paycheck and, and not much else. Okay. So, um, that really kind of fast forwards us into where we got to geolinks was one day I I drove up to visit my dad. I was living now in Ventura at the time having a, a nice income stream to live at least comfortably by no means wealthy or anything <laughs> along sure. those lines, but, uh, uh, I was comfortable with my, my fiance and my daughter. And, uh, I pulled out my cell phone and I remember seeing all these Wi-Fi signals, uh, that had my cousin's phone number on them. Okay. And I called him up. I said, Ryan, why do I see uh 15 different Wi-Fi signals with your phone number on it in town? And he goes, Oh, I, I built this wireless network. I said, well, what are you doing with it? He's like, I'm serving internet to uh rural communities way in the backwoods of Ohio that don't have other internet. And I said, well, that's really cool. Um, and uh, communications had always been something we were interested in. We built networks since we were kids together. Um, so I asked him how much money he was making, and uh, he, he says none. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, wait a minute. Didn't you spend a lot of money building this? Isn't taking you time to do it?" He's like, "Yeah, my credit card's maxed out, and uh, it's really neat. And I, you know, I'll figure I'll collect some money from him at some point." I said, "Well," <laughs> says "You want to make a business out of this or not?" And he said, "Yeah." I said. 50/50 50, 50 partners. You ready to go? And he said yes. Yeah. So uh, 30 days later, we had wow. I think $4,000 a month in re- in recurring billing. Uh, I started putting the business side together, and uh, I began driving around putting um, flyers on mailboxes with my daughter in the back seat, my uh, my wife in the, in the passenger seat, and we're sticking flyers on mailboxes. I'm picking up my cell phone as we're doing it, and taking orders, and we were selling to. Uh, just rural residential areas, replacing satellite services at that time, and the business was growing and growing, and um, we were turning every dollar back into the business that we could. Um, then we we heard of an opportunity for a, a wealthy community uh, about 25 miles away okay. that was about 800 homes that had that had no internet service. Wow! And um, these people told us like, look, if you can get in here, you, you can make a killing. Well, okay. it was the wealthiest neighborhood with a bunch of A-list celebrities, and we ended up picking up um, a, lot of, a lot of well-known names in, okay. in, in, the, um, in the entertainment industry as clients as things moved along. But um, I just started cold calling. I called the Development Corporation, the HOA. I just endlessly started calling, calling, calling. Finally was able to get myself a meeting. Um, I had to go in there and represent ourselves as being bigger than we were because they had a real fear of, uh, a failure of execution and how bad that would look on
0: sure. on their
1: community of, you know, of, of wealthy individuals. So yep. I also had to be honest. So that was a, a tricky balancing act, but I was able to pull it off. I was able to get us a 10 year contract wow. to go in there. So the next, the next problem I had was I don't have the money to build the network. Oh, interesting. So we went around, um, begged, borrowed and stole. <laughs> uh, no, we, 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 we begged loans off of, uh, Every different family member from that we knew that we could, and we were able to put together about $140,000 in loans. Wow! Uh, Built that network out, and in three months, we had $30,000 a month in recurring revenue. Wow! Um, so that grew really quick for us, and that was really kind of the next launching point that got us to the next level in terms of cash flow to be able to really grow the business. So. Uh, from there, we, we moved it into LA, which was our ultimate goal okay. was to go to a business-to-business model and get away from the B2C the B, to, the B to C model. And that began taking off for us pretty quickly. And the growth trajectory that we were on, I think this is about 2013-ish now, uh, okay. maybe closing into 2014, I could see that our capital expenditures were exceeding the amount of cash we were taking in. if we wanted to keep that growth trajectory we needed money one way or another. And I'd never raised capital or anything like that before, other than, you know, borrowing money from friends. But we needed a lot more than that to continue to grow. And I certainly didn't want to turn down that growth trajectory. So I started making phone calls. I started looking at my customer base and looking at who lived in wealthy homes and introducing myself and asking, you know, do you have an introduction? And I, I actually Googled one of our clients that was really nice. And I saw that he used to be, a private equity guy and he was retired and I started talking to him and he said, Hey, let's go to lunch. And, um, he introduced me to an individual who actually ended up becoming our first investor and he's still an investor in our company. He's our chairman and we've become good friends and had a really, really great relationship. Um, before that I did, I did get pretty involved with one, uh, PE kind of family office. Um, And we got very close to a deal. It was a good valuation at the time, but something just didn't quite feel right about it uh, for me. And they had changed a couple of the deal terms last minute. And I just, I decided to walk away and we ended up getting a better deal uh, just a few months later with this other guy. So, you know, I'd say always trust your gut. Um, uh, So from there, we we took that capital and began investing that into our growth and and kept growing that the B2B side of our business, um, Recorded 100% growth uh, every year um, for uh-huh. the next three years after that. Um, kept kept pushing, you know, expanding that greater LA area footprint into Orange County, the Inlet Empire, um, all those surrounding areas. Um, really, we're going head to head with the big guys, which was not a model you find usually with the small providers. The small providers usually try to sure. pick off the, the low-hanging fruit where there's no competition, but... You know, I said if we're going to make this, and we're going to make this a big company, we need to learn now how we beat the big boys at their own game. So let, let's go in, let's go into downtown LA, let's go into you know downtown Orange County, Santa Monica, and and let's win. And and we were doing that, and it was by providing a better quality of service. Um, so that that continued and just kept building the company up. Um, we. Moved the company originally um, out of my weight room where we started it in my house. <laughs> That's
0: amazing. Uh, to
1: to a, a hundred and, once again, about 110 square foot uh, y- little unit I rented for $150 a month with no windows and there were four of us stuffed in there sweating with fans <laughs> blowing on us all day. <laughs> and uh, we were very happy to move that into about an 800 square foot uh, facility not long later, which we then quickly grew out of and i moved into a building that i'd had my island since i was a kid it always wow. uh it was right on the 101 freeway okay. for some reason it always just stuck out to me so when i saw that it was for rent i said we got to get our way in there uh so i went over there and began negotiating and was able to negotiate the biggest sign right on the 101 which is a huge lit sign which for me was a just something that gave me that the feeling of hey we've made it to the next level
0: that's awesome man uh, and
1: that was about a uh, 5,500 square foot space. So yeah, wow. that was a, that was a fun little accomplishment. Um, not, you know, fast forward another year or two and we're, we're outgrowing we're that building uh, okay. pretty wow. quickly. So, uh, we took a little more space on it and could not negotiate a deal with the landlord that worked out for us and ended up moving last July into a new 40,000 square foot facility. Oh wow. Uh, that is pretty much my dream building, which has a, kind of a, a little bit of a funny story behind it. We were looking for buildings for <laughs> for quite a while and okay. uh I was on uh with a friend of mine who helps who gets uh like Clippers and Lakers basketball tickets and Okay. He was down in Argentina at his house and he's what are you doing? And I was just flipping through my emails. I said, Oh we're looking at buildings and I'm, I'm just looking at this one that we'll never we can't afford, but it's amazing. It's got a basketball court inside the building a game room a movie theater all this stuff and he goes <laughs> sure. wait a minute he's all there's only there's only one building in this county with a basketball court inside he's all that's my friend's building, my old business partner's building uh, I, I said yeah he's all, well what can you afford i said eh, about half of what they're asking <laughs> he's all give me 20 minutes and he, he just hung up the phone he calls me back he's like you really want that building i said yeah He's all, go meet him right now and i went and he was a really great guy that had sold his uh, video game company that he had built out of that Shit. building that Easy he built himself and uh, he really liked us and he made us a deal that was about forty five percent off what he had been asking for it wow uh, to get us in there and we moved in last July and it's uh really really an amazing building that's really helped you know build the culture that we that we want here that's and um, you know w- We've, we've now uh, moved into the government sector in terms of building uh, rural networks um, away from our original urban core.
0: Okay. And we've
1: bu- built out um, to about – we've got about 38 projects going for rural schools across California right now. Wow. Um, building out to rural libraries like out on Catalina Island. Oh, wow. Um, we do a lot of wholesale to other big ISPs. AT&T buys from us now, Verizon, CenturyLink, a lot of guys like that. Um, We're moving out of the state, uh, working on uh, different projects for anchor institutions, like, again, hospitals, schools, libraries. Um, We ended up being the biggest uh, winner for RFPs for um, the California Telehealth Network in California this year, winning about 120 hospitals. that's huge man congrats that breaking
0: uh, into that market is tricky
1: it is it is and you know i found out interestingly enough is all kind of i mean other than responding to the RFPs and having the best solution it's about having the relationships and totally just networked a lot uh within that area to educate them that we can do what we say we're going to do and we're not going to be one of those guys that that screws you over and, and tells you one thing and you know over promises under delivers we want to do the opposite under promise and over deliver. Sure. So, you know, we've seen a ton of growth and uh, we've done a couple acquisitions this year, which has helped grow us. And we're looking at another really significant one right now, that I'm hoping to hear some news back on tomorrow actually. Oh wow. And um, it seems like we've, we've kind of hit that tipping point now where things are really pulling us out of California into other areas across the country. And uh, we've bid on 15 different States in the connect America fund for about $250 $250 million in subsidized funding from the FCC, wow. which we're hoping uh, really, really uh, pull our trajectory forward. And we're working on a lot of uh, items in the government space um, that would help kind of reform um, the way funding works. So, in rural America, you've got funding for schools, for telemedicine, for libraries, for residences, et cetera. And we've got a proposal that we've put forward to the FCC that's Getting some traction, uh, making a demo city of consolidating all those different funding silos together and doing one build out that would reduce the cost by about 60% and the build out time by about 60%, um, and really, you know, push forward this closing the digital divide across America by, uh, you know, being more strategic in, in the way we build network out there, and then we'd hope to replicate that if we get the get the green light here pretty soon uh, to do that. So that's kind of the quick, the quick story of how we got to GeoLinks and where it is today and, um, you know, where it's going next. There's we've got, you know, quite a few things in the pipeline, but we're always open to what uh, may pull us in the right direction. And, you know, we want to stay nimble enough that we're able to go take advantage of new opportunities when they present themselves.
0: No, I I think that's really great. And I want to dive like deeper into GeoLinks in a second. But I'm curious to cover one thing you mentioned about about the new building part of, well and and you don't have to discuss or all the details but just for the listener I, I'm curious to know why he gave you such a good deal is it was his kind of main reason because it's better to take in some money every month instead of having no tenant and in the hopes that you guys would grow to actually use maybe the whole space so he could charge you as close as much possible to what he originally wanted or what was the reason he let you in at such a good really good deal i know your buddy you know obviously helped you but you know like at the end of the day sometimes it comes down to dollars too right
1: oh absolutely i, I mean um you know i'm going to speculate a little bit so i met with him really nice guy okay uh, serial entrepreneur himself that had done very well for himself sure. on three or four different transactions over the years we kind of hit it off and you know became quick Buddies, sure. so to speak, and he really liked you know what what we were all about and what we were doing and how much we loved the building because I think it was kind of a passion project for him himself.
0: Ah, uh, okay. And
1: I think it came down to t- to two things. I think it came down to one, like you said, getting his his uh, his company that had been bought was getting outsourced and moved away, so uh, his income stream uh, for the rent there was moving, and we could come in right away and and provide no gap. So right, you know how expensive gaps are in real estate. Sure. So, Giving us a a a deal that we could afford to get in was probably smart for him. Um, But you know, I think he did cut us a little bit of a deal just because he liked us, liked what we were doing, liked our entrepreneurial spirit and where we were going. At least, you know, I want to tell myself that. At least.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No. No. I think um, that's good. I think that's for sure part of it, right?
1: Yeah. And um, we we took the whole building, so. We, we have excess space absolutely at this point, but okay. you know, I don't want to move again. So right. while we're paying more than we really should for a company of our size today, having moved, you know, four times in <laughs> six and a half years at that yeah. point, you know, you don't, you don't want to do it again with the growth trajectory you're on. So he, uh, he made us a 10 year lease and there's some escalators in there, uh, okay. every year. So over time it does get closer to, you know, what I would say is a market rate, but he'd really like us to buy the building at some point,
0: uh, uh okay. as
1: well. And that probably w- would make sense for us in the, in the coming years. Uh, as soon as we have a little more, a little more free cash to work with. And, and that makes, uh, the most sense. So I, I think those are the deciding factors really in how it, sure. how it shook
0: out. But, but I, I think that's also good advice for people listening, right? Is you, you never know, unless you ask right I I guess at the end of the day he could have said no and or he you know you guys both worked out a deal that worked worked for both of you but I want to dive a little bit deeper you kind of covered it but I I really want to dive a bit deeper into kind of what geolinks actually does for for the listener because I think you guys are doing some stuff that's really innovative in in the space so do you maybe want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into what, what exactly you guys do?
1: Absolutely. So the business is multifaceted. I mean, all encompassing. We're an internet service provider sure. uh, and telecommunications company. So we provide fixed wireless services to businesses all across Southern California,
0: okay.
1: um, urban, suburban, rural. Uh, we look at projects that are that are custom. Whether that's building out for the State Parks Department into really you know difficult to reach areas, okay. Uh, like I said, we we're, were the biggest grant grant winner um, for network construction the last two years for schools, uh, reaching um, schools that had had these grant dollars for over five years, but the big providers could not get there in an affordable way. So sure. we go out. We're a general contractor. Um, we do everything from land procurement to the tower construction to permitting to logical and physical design ultimate operation, uh, you know, so a complete turnkey deployment, and uh, have really been able to solve problems uh, in a cost-effective manner that others haven't. Um, that's gained us a lot of recognition sure. uh, within the research and educational community, um, so I, I got pulled up to a meeting in a couple months to present to the research and educational networks of Washington, Montana, oh, wow. Hawaii... Um, Michigan Oklahoma and Kansas okay. for similar type projects as well so um, and then, from there we, we've gained a bit of influence within the FCC too and uh, that's helped you know drive sure. certain agendas and I sit on a board for the school's healthcare library broadband coalition out of Washington D.C.
0: Wow. and we're, we're trying to
1: help influence policy change uh, as much as we can for the, for the mid-sized guy like, like ourselves
0: sure and then is the also, kind of another stream is, do you, you sell back the infrastructure to the big guys?
1: So, uh, we don't sell the infrastructure back. We lease connectivity. Okay, so,
0: okay. I guess it, that's, yeah, that's tele- kind of what I telecom. meant. I just
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, Go. telecom's an interesting business, and okay. a lot of people that haven't been in it don't understand that your competitor is also someone you do business dealings with. Right, and um, so while we compete with AT and T, we buy from AT and T. AT and T buys from us. Gotcha. While we compete with Verizon, uh, we buy from them. They buy from us. Um, now, you'll find some really small companies get defensive and don't want to do that, but they're really missing the point of how this industry works. And in that while we may compete on a deal head to head. You know, we're ultimately going to be buying from each other where we don't have network, right? And you know, mutually benefiting one another. The funny thing is, sometimes we'll have a deal come in on our retail side, we'll have it come in on our wholesale side, and we have another side of the business which is agent uh, agents out there, and it comes in on the agent side. And we've got the same deal in three different channels of the business, and it's funny because I'll go, okay, well, some other provider may win it, but they're going to be buying it from us anyways, so That's we kind of win. Uh, you know regardless there and, and the funny thing was even on this the, the hospitals bit I was telling you about Yeah. A, a big regional provider that's probably about 20 times larger than us approaching a billion dollars in revenue um, was one I think about 50 of the, the 200 and some locations we want about 120 but turns out uh, they're coming to us to buy all those locations through us now Interesting. So, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny how that all works out in the end
0: Sure. Yeah. No. That's that is interesting. Uh, so, I I kind of interrupted you there. Let's k- kind of cover some more of the stuff you guys do, because I I think the hosted voice stuff is kind of fascinating to me because it's that seems to be something that the entire industry is is kind of struggled with uh, with a bit. Um, just actually keeping mm-hmm. it connected compared to kind of traditional phone lines.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So. When we first started out, we were in the voice over IP space, Right. You know, we were selling it because our customers were demanding both, mm-hmm. and I quickly realized that we couldn't do both well. We needed to focus on one or the other just okay. because of our size, so sure. we actually stopped selling the voice services, and we kept probably 80 legacy clients, and we focused on connectivity. Okay. Uh, this last year, I realized we can't keep ignoring that. We can't keep telling people no when they're demanding a product from us that has good margins and is complementary to what we're selling. Sure. So um, we acquired a small VoIP company. Um, we've had, had some struggles in that integration. We're finally smoothing those out. And um, the problem has been um, for us right now is re-educating our sales staff that we are a voice and connectivity company now, uh, okay. that we do both. Um, and in the agent side of the business, there's, there's a side of telecommunications where there's agents that are out there that sell on a paper performance model and there's a lot of companies that do just voice over IP that are well 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 funded beyond beyond us and they pay really well to those agents to acquire clients okay so we've been learning the ins and outs of of marketing voice uh, where it's been you know a little different than marketing marketing connectivity but another thing we found was originally when when voice over IP came out it was hot it was much cheaper than than plain old telephone service and everyone was selling it but no one paid attention to set up the right quality of service, and a lot of people had bad quality totally. in their phone calls, and it actually turned a, lot, turned a lot of people off, turned a lot of people away, and you know, thought it was an inferior offering. Now, it's finally going back to the direction, but when you deploy it, and we're making it mandatory in our deployments, you need to deploy proper edge devices, like routers and firewalls sure. that handle quality of service. And we're actually using um, SD-WAN products now and okay. dual links. So you either buy a single link from us and a single link from another carrier, or we provide a primary link and a 4G failover link. And they can do uh, some really neat things on those boxes now that allows them to split the bandwidth up over both. If one of the circuits is having a little bit of an issue, right. that prevents you from having any call, call quality issues. So the, uh, the, the technology and, and the software behind the technology has really evolved where... As long as it's set up right, call quality should never be an issue anymore. Interesting,
0: Yeah, and, and I guess like having call quality and kind of a backup internet, especially in kind of the medical space. I, I worked at the the hospital at the university up here a number of years ago um, in their media department, and we had to like video conference all the time to like around kind of the province. The quality of video and audio mm-hmm. sometimes was so bad that it was just – You almost couldn't have a conversation because, you know, every third word dropped the call or the video cut out. So, you know, when you're dealing with something where it's life and death is maybe a little dramatic, but sometimes in the medical space, like you're having an important call where people really need to get something through. So, you know, the internet can't go down that there can't be the call quality needs to be good, right? Yes, and that's
1: right. And. Obviously, there's there's a number of factors to that of you know the upstream providers you use because when you're going over the Internet, let's say you're in Nevada and I'm in California, and um, there's multiple junctions to get there. And right. it's what's called peering. And one, one of the issues a lot of people don't realize is the peering connections between certain providers can sometimes become congested. Oh, and okay. if you don't have multiple routes um, and redundancy both at your data center head end those congestions can then cause call quality issues and this is where a lot of providers used to or a lot of um, businesses used to buy what's called mpls and and basically private circuits that were dedicated between different points to ensure that call quality now the cost of those was anywhere from three to six times more than a normal internet circuit but it basically guaranteed you the quality because it was dedicated all the way from one end to the other this is where people are now going to SD WAN is because you can now buy two internet circuits and it will intelligently look at and monitor those circuits at all times. And if one of those is having an issue, it can resplit the data packets or over both of them or direct them to one or the other and really alleviate that. And you're able to get the same um, level of quality of a MPLS circuit or a private network circuit um, at you know, about half the cost.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I always wondered about that cuz that was always the well it, it still can be sometimes where you're in certain places and you're trying to make a call and it's you can tell there's like a huge delay and it, it's just the conversation just off. Yeah. That's that's quite interesting. So, you guys also do temporary internet? I'm I'm sure most people at this point have been at some event where there's Wi-Fi and it's not great um, or not usable at all. So how do you guys kind of do that differently?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we do a lot of event services. You know, we've done major, major, you know, celebrity type parties, sure. um, everything from, you know, events for Microsoft, things at Angel Stadium, wow. Dodger Stadium. um And, you know, those pay a lot of money for a short period of time because they need a a large amount of bandwidth and it's expensive to tear down and put up equipment in a a short period of time. Um, When it comes to the Wi-Fi and the distribution, so you can definitely have an issue that you don't have enough bandwidth for everybody there. But there's things that have to be done in the distribution um, of the Wi-Fi, uh, handling the proper handoffs between users. Really, it comes down to that local network, that local wireless network deployment. And A good example is a hotel that we did a, a couple of years ago we provided the internet to. Okay. And another company built built the wireless network in there and they had endless and endless and endless problems and they were blaming us and we're looking at the circuit and saying, you're not even using all the bandwidth. It's, it's not us. Our, our bandwidth is clean and you're not using it, but people have problems so I went and stayed there at the hotel myself. It would become such an issue and I saw the problem is they had way too many access points installed and the access points were interfering with one another and stepping all over themselves. And um therein lies the issue. You need enough density but not too much density. You need channel separation in terms of the Wi Fi channels. I and mean, then you need a good product when it comes to the Wi Fi product that will handle handle the handoffs.
0: Right. Um, like hardware you different
1: right? access points as you move around. Exactly.
0: Yeah, okay. Exactly. No, that is that is quite interesting because – go ahead. Sorry.
1: Uh, no, I'll tell you, uh, it, more often than not these days, um, I still see a lot of places, whether it's hotels we're staying at or areas that we go to that, you know, those distributed Wi-Fi systems are not set up properly and not done right. Um, I think a lot of people are investing money and fixing them now. Okay. Um, definitely there's a lot more hotels that have really good working ones. Where you can do voice-over IP on Wi-Fi with with no problem and use it well, um, Four Seasons has it down. I'll tell you that. But they've got a lot of money to spend, so they do it <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, Mar- Marriott seems to have theirs down pretty darn well. Uh, they've got a one as well. But um, some of the other brands are still 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 working it out. You know? Okay.
0: So, and I'm I'm curious about like, well tell tell me if I'm wrong. I-, I guess is like say you're doing a trade show. Is it easier to run kind of wired internet? To every booth, and then let kind of the attendees have have kind of Wi-Fi, or, or is that kind of a little bit archaic of a setup?
1: No, I, um, that that's probably about right. So okay. for us, we actually don't don't get involved in the local distribution. Okay, we really just bring in the internet pipe, and whoever their vendor is, um, you know, an IT company, uh, something along those lines, then takes that. And spreads that Wi-Fi out. If oh, okay. you ever heard of the, uh, like the um, the traveling show. It's a spin-off of Cirque du Soleil called Cavalia. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The horse. Yeah. Uh,
1: show. We, we we do their internet all across the country uh, through various different methods, and they've been doing them for a number of years. And interesting. They were one that um, struggled with that Wi-Fi deployment in terms of doing. They were doing it themselves initially and had some problems and wanted to bring us in to help and. I said we're willing to help, but that's just not our business model, and we don't kind of want to get pulled into pulled into that. But uh, they were able to perfect it uh, in time. But again, it's it's about really getting that that down and getting it right. And um, you know, we're just the setup is 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 a little tricky. You need to know you need to know exactly what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I I can imagine. Um, no, that's interesting. So the other thing, you guys do a bunch of other um, things as well, but. I'm curious about your kind of on-demand, scalable cloud. How does that kind of work, and what exactly is it?
1: Um, So when we put in an internet circuit, um, there's excess capacity on it. And because we're so flexible, so say you you bought a 10 10 megabit circuit from us, you can give us a call, and and we can turn that bandwidth up in a number of minutes and, and increase that for you. So um, it's not something that, that's asked for that often, but it is a really nice feature when you can put that order in on an at and fiber circuit and it could take you weeks to a month to have that go through.
0: Sure. Um,
1: and then, you know, there are people that want to overbuild their circuit, like say we'll build it to a capacity of 200 or 300 megabits and they may only subscribe to 20 or 50 today, but they want to have that immediate scalability because they're, they're kind of looking forward to their future. So they'll pay a little bit more upfront to have that, um, option that they can just turn a knob and basically, so to speak, no, <laughs> uh, sure. with a phone call and get it get it turned up.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting, especially kind of on the startup side of things. Like if you get a ton of traffic, you want to be able to hit the button to like get more, not have to wait days or weeks, right? When it's kind of useless to you right. at that point, right? No, that's that's quite fascinating. Exactly. So is there anything else that you guys kind of? Do that we haven't really covered yet.
1: Um, you know, network construction is really a big piece for us. So building okay. a network, um, we began working with a, a a group that just handles hospitals out of Texas recently, and okay. they're bringing us now deals all across the country wow. where there is either not enough terrestrial infrastructure or the price to deliver on terrestrial infrastructure is just prohibitively high. So okay. we're doing a project out in Kansas for about six, six, um, hospitals. And I wouldn't have known this today or, I mean, a, a few months ago, but I know it today, Sure. The what we're selling out there, um, in comparison in downtown LA, it would cost about 500 bucks a month okay. for, uh, the speed of circuit. What it's going for out there is $5,000 a month oh, wow. and that they find a, great deal in comparison to what else is out there so i started poking around and there was one phone company that kind of owned the whole area and they were just gouging people so while we had to charge that much because we had to go there and build network and the cost will come down as we uh you know begin to get those assets paid off um it's amazing what uh you know some things still cost in in rural america people don't realize how limited connectivity is, and in many many areas, there's a there's a city we're doing a project for out in Michigan right now that actually has no internet, no cell service, wow. and they don't have enough regular old plain phone lines even to service the town for dial-up purposes. Wow! So they they came to us for for building out uh, for them too. So <laughs> we wow. kind of uh, you know look out for different different projects. We're involved in a project um, with a group out of university. Uh, a, California San Diego and University of Nevada Reno on fire sensors and um, they've built these fire sensor networks that use a combination of cameras and meteorological sensors that have been able to track and predict wildfires with 100% accuracy over the last few years and we're putting together a project to pitch yeah to the state of California that would uh, uh, really fix the under and over response to fires back in the backwoods but also give the predictability of where those fires are going, where you need evacuations, where you need uh, to, you know, trench lines to stop them or 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 deploy resources, et cetera. Uh, and they've been doing this, like I said, for quite a while, but what they came to us for was we've got rural connectivity across pretty much every inch of California now, and they need that right.
0: that bandwidth
1: out in the really rural areas. And we build solar and wind-powered towers that can sit on uh, really r- remote mountaintops and then provide that connectivity back and visibility that then allows the airplanes, the trucks, the helicopters and the ground crews to respond accordingly.
0: No, oh, that's really cool. Uh, not the fire part but that you can detect the, you know, all that stuff, right? That's actually really interesting.
1: Yeah. So it was very interesting to me. I, I didn't even know they had something like that out there to, to like no. out them recently.
0: Yeah, so, no, that's that's really cool. So I I I'm curious then to maybe um get your thoughts on some things because You've had some kind of up and ups and downs in in your career, and you guys have grown kind of GeoLinks, um, you know, really fast and kind of across the country. What advice would you kind of give to you know younger people looking at maybe not even necessarily getting into this space, just kind of you know as an entrepreneur? Because you you seem to have done a, a ton of stuff obviously to compete and work with kind of some of the bigger guys so what advice would you give some people that are kind of maybe starting up or, or coming up oh good question
1: so you know when I first started my IT company I did well with that because that was a space I knew well sure um, and really could execute well on myself um, I got a little burned out on it and I, I tried to go a different direction as I, as I talked to you about and that sure. didn't work out well for me I'd say stick to your core competencies stick to what you know and do well um, secondarily, you need to be able to sell your product.
0: Okay. Um, I
1: mean, you're going to be the salesman when it, when it starts from ground zero, cause I, I'm betting most of you don't, don't have much money when, when we start out. Right. So if you, you gotta be able to sell your own product, you gotta be able to kind of be a jack of all trades and, and do everything as you get off the ground and, and live really inexpensively to start, um, you know, whatever you think the turnaround point is going to be, and you're going to start making money, double or triple that time frame and make sure that you can make it
0: sure. to that
1: because it's not going to be as fast as you think. Uh, third item I would say is learn your accounting. Okay. Um, you're going to need to do all the accounting yourself from the get go, and even as you grow, um, you want to be able to check the work of those people that you hire. And uh, you know I've trusted some people that I hired with you know high six-figure salaries to be um, CFOs or you know high-level accountants for me that have done poor work and, and really cost me a lot of money. And interesting. I should have been checking on it more, and it forced me uh, a couple years ago to dive in. And while I had you know a loose uh, idea of general basic accounting. I didn't know the, the deep dive stuff that you get into when, when you really start doing you know bigger bigger transactions and deals and it forced me to learn all that and
0: some of the financial
1: planning and analysis. And now I can double check all that work. I can do my own projections and forecasting. Not that I want to do it all the time. Sure. But I think, you know, your cash is king. If you run out of cash, you're screwed. I mean, even at our size, it's difficult to get bank loans because of our growth trajectory and it's going to be a long time before you're going to get any kind of traditional financing or capital. Right. So I would say plan for that as well.
0: Interesting. So you mentioned obviously, you, like, you you know some of the the technical side, and, and you mentioned kind of the sales side. Do you have any advice for people that are maybe early on, like you were, actually being the salesman and the other doing all the other stuff as well? Because I think sales is probably. The most daunting part for a lot of people, I would put myself in that uh, category as well. So do you have any advice for people that are maybe not traditionally salespeople to actually go out and sell their product, especially at the beginning?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you know it's a good product and you know it's benefiting your customer, um, that's going to come across genuine. So as long as you can communicate with that, and you know you're actually providing a service that's benefiting them, I think your client is going to read that. Even if you don't think you're a good salesperson per se, or you don't have that personality, you're going to have to force yourself probably into some, you know, moderately uncomfortable situations we always do in business, whether it's sales or or something, something else. But, uh, trust in yourself and and if you know your product's good and it's going to benefit them, don't be afraid to go out there
0: and do it. Sure. No, I think that's really good advice. I'm curious though. Um, You've kind of mentioned this throughout the show that, you know, you're kind of constantly learning and, and, and you know, staying up on, on stuff. Do you, are, are you reading kind of any good books or, or do you try to read some books a month? I, I know some people say, like, I try to read a book a week, which, you know, can be very difficult. But, like, do you find you're constantly learning and, and how do you kind of go about staying constantly learning?
1: Yeah, great question. So I've never been a huge book reader in my life. I've probably okay. I read part of Think and Grow Rich uh, okay. when I was sick. I, I don't have a lot of time sure. to sit down and read. I read a lot of articles. Um, okay. so I'm always reading articles. So those are short and quick reading. Um, I'll do research when I have a specific item I need to solve or something I need to learn. Then I'll dive in and you okay. know, utilize the internet and, and, and do a lot of research and reading there uh on whatever that specific topic is that i'm trying to you know take in at that time um but i've probably read two books in the last 10 years when it comes to books so i'm, I'm not a i'm not a big <laughs> book person but oh, i'm more I, of a I think that's know, good a, advice I man a researcher sure. yeah Just research research when you need to learn something and, and then go in i mean you may read 100 pages so it might be a book <laughs> sure. when it comes down to it but, um that that's how I've approached it myself.
0: No, I I think that's really good advice. Like I've always kind of found um the like the ten things that successful people do every morning lists, I'm kinda of like, okay, sure. Like that's that's great and all. But right. but, but like that's partly why I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that question because sure, if you want to read a book a week, read a book a week. If you you can't for whatever reason or don't want to, there's other ways to do it, right? Like to, to your point a second ago, yep. and I, I kind of just wanted to stress that. But, uh, Skylar, we're, we're coming to the end of the show. So is there anything that you maybe kind of want to mention before we kind of sign off and then maybe let give the listeners some places where they can get more information about you guys?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there's more information on our website, www.geolinks.com, G-E-O-L-I-N-K-S.com. Uh, you can Google us or Google my my name, and definitely you know significant amount of articles and information comes up. But I think my my last piece of advice to entrepreneurs that are starting up or aspiring is, it's a harder path than you think. Sure. Don't get discouraged. Plan for adversity. Live lean. Um, every time things start going your way, it's not going to continue going that way forever. You're going to have to. You're, it's it's not like you all of a sudden made it you're going to have a lot more challenges ahead of you. And every time you get to kind of the next threshold in size, you have to reinvent yourself because what got you from zero to a hundred thousand dollars is going to be a different game and gets you from a hundred thousand to a million sure. and then a million to 10 million and 10 million to 20 million. I found you know, through all those different thresholds, we've had to reinvent the way we do things. You outgrow your staff, you outgrow your systems, you outgrow your processes. You've definitely got to be in a place of continual learning um, you're going to forfeit vacations for years. Um, you're, you're going to forfeit a lot of that, but you're going to be, you know, the master of your own destiny and that may come with failure and that may come with success. So you got to have a a strong gut for, for that stress and that risk too, I would say, but don't let that shy you away. Just be prepared for it.
0: No, I, I, I think that's really good advice and a really great way to end it. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
1: No, thank you very much. I appreciate being here and and sharing my story. So uh, it was my
0: pleasure. Thanks, man. You uh, have a good rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Okay, bye.
1: Great, thank you. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. To join the free community, buy some merch, sponsor the show, or sign up for the newsletter Please visit the website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.